Hi, this is Surya Devi, and welcome to A Voice for Love. I'm a world music artist and healer from Vancouver, Canada, with over two decades' experience serving individuals from all walks of life. We're going to be speaking with leaders and visionaries from around the world in the field of art, music, activism, health, education, spirituality, and more to talk about what it means to be a voice for love. We're going through massive changes on the planet right now, and I believe that what the world needs more than ever are people who are aligned, heart-led, and who can speak from the soul to help usher in even bigger shifts that will elevate us all into a more harmonious existence together. Thank you so much for joining us. Welcome to A Voice for Love. This is Surya, and I'm so very excited to introduce my special guest to you today, Madhu Anziani. And I'm just going to go right ahead and let you introduce yourself to everyone, Madhu. Thank you, Surya. Well, I'm here to speak to you all today, and I'm in Oakland, California. And what I can say about myself is... I'm a sanctioned teacher of something called the Pachacuti Mesa tradition of cross-cultural healing arts. And what that means is I'm a Mesa carrier. I work with a healing altar ground that comes from the traditions that are located in Peru, coming from the northern coastal region of Peru, as well as the high Andean Mount mountain regions where these practices are about personal and planetary restoration and engaging in rituals of sacred reciprocity that is the way to sustain order balance and harmony with the seen and unseen worlds and I'm also my expertise is in sound music chanting opening the voice and another thing that I do is a form of divination I do what is called stick divination I've been trained in another tradition a lineage that comes from West Africa known as Dagara and this stick medicine is a way to be in tune with the elements and with the ancestors to be able to recognize what are the patterns in our lives that are out of harmony and how can we through simple graceful rituals rewrite the pattern and create pathways that are more open to our purpose being expressed with ease so being in harmony with the ancestors with the land and with all the elements is what that pathway is about and I think in a nutshell, that that kind of expresses who I am and what I'm here to speak on today. Wow, it sure, it sure does. When I was listening to you, I was like, wow, that sounds like the, the very little that I know about you. I heard about your story from Robin Rivera and I was just like, what? I have to, I, I have to talk to this man. Like, so you have this incredible story of 
so I'm not sure I'm going to get this right, but you can correct me if I'm wrong. So I'm not sure how this happened, but you were a, or, you know, a quadriplegic at one point after an accident and you, you got yourself out of this state and were able to walk again and made a full recovery through using sound healing. This is incredible. Can you please share a little bit about this with everyone? Yes. Yeah. So it's quite a story. It's really the a turning point in my life in a very dramatic way. I did experience being quadriplegic. Um, I'm 35 years old now. It, ha it happened when I was 23. So in my early 20s, I thought I was going to be graduating from college. I was studying music, jazz and world music. And just before writing my thesis paper, getting ready to graduate from college and move into life. I moved into life in a totally different way than what was anticipated. And I, I had a fall from two stories high where I ended up shattering two vertebrae in my neck, C5 and, and C7. And this rendered me as quadriplegic, or they call it tetraplegic, all four limbs paralyzed, and I was on a ventilator. I couldn't breathe. Um, really just terrible condition and completely incapacitated. And it was thought that I would be disabled for my whole life and I would need people to take care of me. And I got to experience so many layers of the physical, um, dimension being incapacitated like that and what it means to be totally surrendered and and need others for the basic needs like going to the bathroom getting dressed eating uh, anything to do with the hands i had no use of my hands so i was basically just being cared for constantly and also in that condition, it, it was really clear that the mind plays such a significant role on every moment's experience. And fortunately, I had some tools for healing at that time. I had just learned about sound as a healing modality. I was really interested in working with sound to create meditative experiences. I had just discovered using binaural beat frequencies and listening to them in headphones and getting into deep states of meditation that way. And I was studying jazz music, yet I was more interested in creating music to harmonize and, and create meditative experiences. So sound healing was just in my awareness, just in the beginning phases, and also Reiki. I was taking holistic health classes in in college at San Francisco State. And I was learning about Eastern perspectives of holistic health, Tibetan, Chinese and Ayurveda, as well as Western perspectives to holistic health, which involves using biofeedback, which in use, which, which involves using the word and speech and the placebo effect, how the mind body relationship um, is very important. And I saw in that class, I met 
uh, a healer from Japan who demonstrated doing energy healing with his hands on a number of the students without even touching them. And I saw what I perceived as a miracle where I saw him doing just two to three minutes of energy work on a woman without even touching the body. And afterwards she stood up and he, he said, please, you know, bend over and touch your toes. And she was able to do this. And then when she stood up, she said, oh my God, I haven't been able to touch my toes for seven years since that car accident. How did you do that? And she was just like, she was amazed. And I was amazed and I was like, wow, I want to do this. I want to learn how this is done. And by the end of his healing processes, he said, you don't need to be born with a gift in order to do this. Anybody can learn to do this. And the most similar thing to what I'm doing is called Reiki. So I said, oh, okay, I want to learn Reiki. That's what I want to do. And then really soon after that, I ran into a few synchronicities where I was presented with a whole book about Reiki and learning about this way of energy healing. And I found a teacher who began teaching me how to lay hands upon myself and upon other people and, and allow energy to flow and to feel it. And it, it really helped me clear a lot of, at that time it was more emotional uh, blockages that I never was able to remove in any like therapeutic sense, but with Reiki was able to move a lot of that. So these were the tools that I had when I found myself in the hospital, um, totally incapacitated and just unable to move, having zero connection to my body. So in this way, I knew I had to trust that I had just enough to get through the experience. And I mean, it was hard to believe, but I had so much support. I had my family who also was there doing healing on me. They learned how to do Reiki and put their hands on me. Even when I was unconscious, they were putting their hands on me. And I mean, it's quite a story. Um, there's a book that was published by Jill Blakeway. She interviewed me and it's all written in the book. It's called Energy Medicine. There's a, there's a chapter in there. I think it's like, I can't remember, chapter nine where it tells the whole story. Um, but do you have any questions about that yeah. experience? If you want me to share more about it? Absolutely. I, I, I mean, I just think it, so I'm curious, like, were you like lucid the whole time? And at what point did you, because from, from what I understand that you actually used like sound healing and toning, I think I read this somewhere. So you would tone for a certain amount of time. Was this just something that sort of came to you spontaneously as you were laying there? You were like, I know I have mm -hmm. to make sound. Do you have any recollection of that now? Or was that sort of, oh, was yeah. it all a blur? Yeah. So, so this part of my healing story, I did do a lot of toning, which is if you, if the listeners don't understand the word toning, it just means creating elongated vowel sounds with the voice. And in this case, it was the sound ah. So I would, with what little voice I had, because remember I was on a respirator, I couldn't 
breathe on my own. And the doctors actually thought I wouldn't have a voice anymore, that my voice was just gone. This happens sometimes when you're on a, when you have a trach in the, in the throat. And so in the beginning, I just had a little voice like, I didn't, ha I had just like a whisper. I had no energy and, and very little voice. Um, but eventually toning is meant to sound something like this. And a repetition of that again and again. And in doing that, I can really feel my body vibrating with that vibration. The ah sound is this perfect sine wave. And the reason I knew to do that in the hospital was because I was fortunate to have a grandmother that was a very advanced being. She was a meditator and growing up I got to hear all her stories about meditating and I was brought up with the understanding about reincarnation. She would always talk to me the, about not not worrying, not being sad when she dies because she's always been with me and she'll come again and again and again mm -hmm. and that we are forever. Reincarnation has always been a part of my understanding. And she had this very unique way of meditating that she would do sometimes, which involved toning. And I would hear her in the other room making that sound. Ah, for 20 minutes at a time. And after she passed away, I received some of her her books. And she passed away, I think it was in uh, 2006. So I, I, I had, maybe it was 2008, I can't remember now, 2006, somewhere in there, I received her books and a cassette tape which had this meditation practice on it. And it was actually a guided practice by Wayne Dyer and it was called Meditations for Manifesting. And in the cassette tape, back in the day when we used cassette tapes, um, he described that this sound is an ancient um, practice called Japa, Eastern form of meditation where the practitioner visualizes the sound going up from the root chakra and out the third eye and you visualize and you feel what it is that you want to manifest and by clearing out the central channel and by using the vibration of ah you will start to see coincidences occur you'll start to see your life manifest without effort so i began meditating like this and i began to see results where there was just so many synchronicities happening in my life that I wanted everybody to know this. And this is before my injury. So I was really into meditating like this, toning, and I was seeing results in a really mystical way. So when I found myself in the hospital setting, it wasn't as much about manifesting and trying to manifest coincidences in my life. It was like, trying to manifest healing 
And it became a very physical process where I could feel the subtle vibration in my bones, in the cells of my body. And I could feel that the sound was affecting my body at the cellular level. And the body is made mostly of water. And the way that water is affected by sound, every water molecule, I could, I could almost see it in my mind's eye that all the molecules in my body were harmonizing and vibrating as one. And as I combine that with the knowledge and use of Reiki, of visualizing like a perfect light within my being and going into a state of gratitude in spite of the condition that I was in. I could feel that there was transformation happening every single moment whenever I would make a sound and visualize and feel and feel the gratitude throughout my being. So I had already seen a miracle take place where I saw a healer do an instantaneous healing. My situation was a little bit more dramatic, but I had trust and faith that these, these ways that I knew about could create an acceleration of my healing. And that's what it did. I was in the hospital for two and a half months in a rehabilitation, a spinal cord rehabilitation facility in Santa Clara. And the doctors called me the miracle patient. They called me the Superman patient because they saw me doing things that they didn't think that I was going to be able to do. And it started with being able to wiggle my, my big toe on my left foot. That was the first miracle. And then day after day, there was little miracles, like being able to wiggle my legs, being able to like roll over, being able to sit up for 20 minutes at a time, eventually learning how to stand. And gosh, I mean, that was one of the hardest things to do is like standing up. I fainted a couple times uh, when trying to learn how to stand again. It's like the body did not want to stand. Um, so there's many avenues of this story that I could tell. There's many layers of different practices that I did. Uh, mantra was another thing. And um, yeah, yeah, I want to pass it back over to you to see if there's any any direction you'd like for me to My go into? Well, I, I just want to honor you, first of all, and your incredible story and just like, wow, how inspiring that is. And um, it's funny because when I, when I, I was guide, very guided by spirit to start this podcast, I didn't even know what I was doing. And, but it's, it's all just flowed. And the, the message that I keep getting is bring people on who have stories of miracles to share because so many people don't understand that this, the miraculous is so real and so very possible. And people are, you know, living in this, a lot of people, they have no idea that something like this is even possible. So what what an incredible story yeah so yeah well, I, well just about the miracle piece what I've, what I've come to realize is that miracles are just the way that life is and so often the mind is what blocks 
the miracle from taking place. Um, there's a wonderful book out there called A Course in Miracles. And I'm a, I'm a real big fan of that. I read that after I had my miraculous healing. I encountered the book. Somebody gave it to me and it was like, this is something I think you should read. And I was like, yeah, I just, I just experienced my own miraculous healing. I think I should study up on this. A Course in Miracles. What's that about? And, and that's been a really transformative tool in my life. Um, and, and I just wanted to put that out there because I think it's a, a magnificent uh, book to study. And it teaches how we can, we can train our mind to perceive miracles and live in that flow constantly. Absolutely. And something, I mean my gosh, there's just so many, there's so, there's so many things we could talk about, but I know for me and you know, what I've learned and what I'm constantly shown, and this is what all the ancient teachings teach us as well, is that so much of what we think is reality is not even real, right? It's all illusion. And, and yeah. part of the, the law of this plane is that something can be very real when you can't see it or taste it, or, you know, that you, you can't be touched with the senses, but that doesn't mean it's real. And also, like, just because something doesn't, hasn't come into form yet, doesn't mean that it, it can. And so when we put our attention on that and let it grow, we really can see these incredible, miraculous happenings. Mm -hmm. Yes, visualization. It's, it's understood that your brain can't tell the difference between what's real and tangible and what you visualize. So the words we speak the images that we conjure up are really important, you know, especially now that these times that we're in every single moment is an opportunity to create an, a, a, an experience in the body. So one of the other things I, I was, I was, I was trained in as a result of having this, um, this healing crisis was the practice of Qigong. And I don't know if I want to go into that. There's so many branches of the story, but I say this because Qigong is really a, a practice of training the mind to help the body, allowing the mind to slow down and the body to slow down, to perceive energy, to, to perceive the Qi, and, you know, this is, this is like preceding the practice of, of yoga. It's really about perceiving energy and training the mind. Um, so when we talk about things like this, about, about the five senses and what lies beyond the five senses, you know, it takes, it takes some practice and a lot of times it takes guidance to, to, free the mind from all the habitual tendencies to grasp on to what's here, what's perceived as real, and to relax and to be in a state of surrender and trusting that what we're surrendering into is a field of limitless healing, unlimited love, and you know, for some people, it's not the most natural thing to do. And it's why we need each other. And that's why 
you know, I, I've come on, on this path and, and I understand that I went through the healing crisis I went to, through so that I could be able to share it with others afterwards. And it's been over 10 years now. And so I've been able to study with a lot of um, masterful teachers from around the world and, and learn ancient techniques to achieve this sort of like mind-body balance way of being. Yeah, it's, it's extraordinary and, and, and so inspiring. And I think, you know, we've only scratched the surface as far as, you know, public knowledge goes, you know, or mainstream knowledge goes about these types of things. So that's why it's so important to share these stories. And um, I just want to touch on, I love that your grandmother talked to you about reincarnation, because when I checked out your website and I listened to your music, I, and I especially like your Tibetan chants, I was like, this guy's a reincarnated monk, among other things, I'm sure, you know, like we've been all the things, but I'd love for you to talk a little bit about that. I also have a very strong connection to Tibetan Buddhism and my, you know, the synchronicities in my life always sort of leave me. I, I'd love for you to, to speak on that. And also like, with your grandmother, like, did you feel her presence around you during that experience when you were healing? Was that something you were conscious of? I, I most certainly was uh, aware of my grandmother's healing presence. And when, when you speak about reincarnation and being Tibetan, I can't express how um, precious the Tibetan culture feels. I, I feel like tears in my eyes when you when you when you speak of it, and I've discovered, you know, to discover Dharma, to encounter the Dharma in in one's life. It is such a rare and precious gift for any person that encounters the Dharma and, and has their, their heart punctured by these teachings that teach the way that allow us to get beyond suffering. There's nothing more important. And this is something that I hold really dear to my life and my practice of being a practitioner of dharma and the way that it shows up for me is yes i do a lot of chanting i i i study with different um monks and and some and back when i could go to the local monastery i, I would attend puja ceremonies and i, I love doing long form chanting practices and of course, chanting mantra has been a big part of my healing. Um, I feel that it's the number one way to transform one's mind. Um, and what I what I can share about, you know, if if it wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me. If one of my multi-dimensional selves is a monk, <laughs> it, it was. It just. It's, you know, I haven't. I haven't had like a visceral experience or like a 
clairvoyant experience of a knowing of, oh yes, I was this person who lived at that period of time. Um, but I can say that, you know, when we have something that resonates very deeply with us, the way I interpret that is because there's a multidimensional part of ourself that is within that lineage in some form. And it's just a way of paying attention to whatever it is that we're doing now can give us a clue of what's happening in past lifetimes or future lifetimes, which is all really just simultaneous time happening in the now. So I call them simultaneous lifetimes. Um, so one of the ways that I felt my grandmother very much with me is um, there was a prayer that my father would speak. La luz de Dios te llena. El amor de Dios te, te rodea. Um, I'm forgetting, I'm forgetting this, these words. They're in Spanish, and it really is about her favorite prayer, which was, the light of God is, shines on you. The light of, the power of God fills you. The, the love of God surrounds you. Everything, all is well and as it should be. So imagine, you know, I was in this healing crisis, and I would hear these words being spoken by my father, reminding me this is what my grandmother spoke. And this was just one of the ways that I would feel her blessing me, although not there physically. And so, yeah, I hope that answers some of that question. Yes, it does. And I think that's, um, it sounds very similar to, I've heard that prayer before, but I think it's called the unity prayer. Like the yes. love of God, the love of God surrounds you. May the light of God surrounds you. I can't, I can't remember the last two lines either, but it's like that. I, I definitely heard that and, you know, heard that prayer before. It's very powerful. And I want to affirm exactly what you said. So I don't talk about this a lot, but I have a Tibetan Buddhist guru who I am feeling sort of inspired to share the story of how we met because it's very funny. I saw his house first. I was just happened to be up on the, in West Vancouver, um, up high on the hill one day where it's all these sort of like a big fancy house neighborhood. And there was this one house that was an orange house with Tibetan prayer flags, deer statue on the roof, but there were gates and I couldn't go in. And I was like, what is this place? And I've always worked with angels. And I said, angels, I have to know what this is. Like, what, what is this place here in the middle of all these fancy houses? Like, why is there this you know, what looks like a Buddhist center here. There was no sign or anything like that. And anyway, so I sent out my little prayer. And about a month later, at that time, this was maybe 15 years ago, I worked part-time in a tea shop. And a Tibetan monk walked into my tea shop. And I looked at him and I said, you, you live in that house up on the Orange Hill, don't you? And he's like, yes. <laughs> And I'm like, who are you? What are you doing? <laughs> like, where did you come from? Like, I have to know who you are. And we talked a little bit. He's like, oh, I'm a Rinpoche. You know, I come from Tibet and I have meditation practice. You come, come once a week. Oh, no, he didn't say Rinpoche yet, but we were just talking. And then when he left, I'm like, wait a second, wait a second. I'm like, what's your name? And he's like, Rinpoche. And then he's like, mm. you know. And then he like, that was it. He took <laughs> off. <laughs> and I was like, what the 
And, you know, so I went there and I started, you know, he became my teacher and my guru and I learned from him and I got to spend um, about seven years very close to him. And um, he's back now in Tibet and I don't know if I will ever see him again. And I had no idea at that time that that would be perhaps the only time that I would, you know, I hope that I get to see him again one day, but I don't what's know. His, what's his full name? Uh, Jelton, Jelton Rinpoche. Rime, okay. rip, yeah, Jelton Rinpoche, Rime Jelton. So like, so our lineage is like, a, it's like a Rime lineage. So it's like inclusive of all traditions, but it's um, a, from like Kagyu, Kagyu lineage. Um, uh-huh. So yeah, but very interesting. So I also learned a lot about the long forms of the chants and the mantras. And my first album that I ever made was called Songs of the Buddha. And it was all about, it was all Buddhist prayers and chants. And so I noticed, like you did, that the mantras are like a workout for the mind. Like after we, I would do practice with him and like we would do practice. It's like he would take us on these, like, it was like, um, it was like a workout, but for the mind, you know, we would do hours and hours and hours of chanting. But then afterwards, like you just feel so clear. And so, so, and he would always say that um, it's very good to do this practice because so many people have achieved enlightenment through the Tibetan language, through these mantras, through these practices. So just follow this lineage because the history is there. Follow the teachings because that, that, that is there. So it's very powerful. The beautiful thing about Tibetan Buddhism is that it's a culture of enlightenment and enlightenment is for everyone the the mind body and speech of the buddha is you is everyone and to go on further about mantra you know it is so much about training the mind but it's also training the speech a person that practices mantra will have a sweetness of speech, a clarity of speech, and an effectiveness of speech. And it's also really helpful if somebody's practicing mantra to, in their day-to-day life, kind of refine what words are spoken, to do one's best to not just have you know, meaningless speech. It's better to remain silent. And then the practice can really take hold and the, the speech is practiced. And then also the body. It's understood that the body of the Buddha is composed of mantra. So when, when we're doing chanting, whether it's Om Mani Padme Hum, Om Mani Padme Hum, or Om Benzaguru Padma Sadhing, Om Mahum Benzaguru Padma Sadhing, Om Mahum Benzaguru Padma Sadhing, Om Mahum. Each syllable is like a sacred geometry that takes place within the auric field and within the physical body of the practitioner. And this is what the Buddha or the awakened one is composed of. So the mantra practice is more than just mind training. It's threefold. It's mind, body, speech. Yes, there's a something along the lines of like 72,000 nadis, these channels of subtle energy in the human body. And through sound, we can access some of the nadis 
that we wouldn't have access to if we were just speaking in one language. For instance, if we just spoke English, the vibrations that we're capable of creating just by using English are not going to touch on the thousands of nadis that are available to us. So utterances from ancient languages, from Sanskrit, from the Tibetan, from Hebrew, which is another language that I was raised with, chanting in Hebrew. Um, just to just to name a, a few different languages that by speaking in these that have these syllables that are arranged in specific ways. Um, the reason why they are clarifying of the consciousness is also at the same time they're they're opening channels or they're giving access to channels of subtle energy in the body which simultaneously have a relationship to quality of consciousness so of all the 72,000 nadis you know you might consider well some of them are blocked some of them are maybe have a little bit of static and so mantra is one way breath work is another way doing specific types of breathing to harmonize the channels to have access to more of the fullness of our being physically and energetically mm. absolutely it's um it's fascinating and i don't know if you know um have you heard of dr kulreet chowdhury that name does not ring a bell Tell okay me. i'll send you her she's gonna be um i'm very happy she her people got, i asked her if she would be she's gonna come on at some point too but she's fascinating because she is a neur, uh, a neurologist and um so she but then so she was a neurologist for a long time and then she started working with sound healing and sound um sound medicine and she's actually integrated that into her practice as a neurologist and now she lives in india because she started studying ayurvedic medicine as well but i've been listening to i believe her she has a book and i've been listening to it on tape but she's actually breaking down all of the scientific reasons about how actually mantra works with the mind and she talks about how um you, her working with mantra actually gave her like the intuitive capacities to be able to work with her patients now when she sits with them she can like put her hand when she takes their pulse all of a sudden she gets like a full download of everything that's going on with them it's it's fascinating but it's very interesting with her because she went from i mean she was a lifelong meditator her mother taught her how to meditate when she was nine but it's a one i'll make sure to send you the link after by email but it's it's I'm yeah really that's learning. fascinating yes i would love to hear her story how she's been working with sound sounds yeah, and because she's a, she's a neurologist, so she's a, you know, a doctor essentially working in the, you know, and she talks about how much she sees the value in both. And she says, I don't see why we have to toss either out, like both have so much value, you know, the ancient wisdom and the natural way, and then also the modern medical. So it's like bringing those two types of things together. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. And you, but, but I do think that when the modern medical way is devoid of the ancient technologies that it's limited i feel like the 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 reconnection of the wholeness the whole spectrum 
um, having a more holistic view of the body instead of a mechanistic view of trying to dissect things into separate parts, that, that creates more suffering. It creates what we would call side effects. Um, but really, they're just effects. And it's, effect, it's the effect of uh, uh, limitation and separation. And I feel that the ancient concepts, ancient ways of um, the holistic mindset, knowing that everything in the body is connected, and not just to itself, but to all of nature. What happens on the planet happens to us. Our body is not separate from the planet's body, which is a sentient being that we've agreed to incarnate with. And that's a whole nother level uh, of, of holistic healing that at this time must be acknowledged and, and must, must, we must have ways to um, engage with the, the, the inextricable connection that we have to the planet, the elements that make up this planet and be in relation to it and and understand that what happens on the planet and what we do to the planet is happening to our body instantaneously it's all the same consciousness and form and matter and um, that's where i feel that the modern medicine on its own is in a place of being disadvantaged Oh yeah, that's a. <laughs> I can I can I could share so many stories about that, and it, it's unfortunate because I don't want to down the. You know, I know the the medical system has benefits, and there's a lot of great things, but I just I see the same patterns over and over again with like my loved ones and my clients, and it's just really a medical system that doesn't know how to to deal with people, and you know. Um, recently when somebody close to me was in the hospital and I was just watching this whole process play out, I was like, you know, if the nurses and doctors could even just be trained in some simple intuition, that would be so helpful because I just watched them, they're making decisions without really tuning into that inner, you know, that inner space that as you know that, and this is one of the other effects of mantra and sound healing, as I'm sure that you know, is that it, it sort of immediately connects you to your divine self or your soul and you sort of remove those barriers and as the mind gets clear and you get clear then all of a sudden you can kind of step into a different place it's like the doctor that i just mentioned and how all of a sudden spontaneously she had this ability to completely read people and shock her patients because they're like how do you know that you know and and that happens all the time too and i also think this is also a result of past lives as we've talked about too because the gifts that we have from our other lives they carry forward with us into this life so then they they may you know they they may awaken and then i feel like our lives are also the different especially these key points which are often very you know difficult and tragic you know or you know potentially very tragic things like what happened to you um the, these are actually the key points of our breakthrough moments where if we choose um and it sounds like again like life had prepared you in some ways for that moment because you had enough information from you know witnessing a miracle to having a little bit of training to having this grandmother who had you know filled you with a certain type of knowledge your whole life so it's, it's yeah. really remarkable well certainly we everybody has a purpose that was decreed and decided 
before the birth. And the purpose is something that in indigenous cultures, it's more nurtured and seen as, as the, the priority of existence, that every single person knows their purpose from day one. Even before day one, the community knows the purpose of this soul that's going to be born so that when the soul is born, it's, it's, the baby is born, it's welcomed and given initiations and rites of passages so that the purpose can, that the way can be open for that purpose to come to fruition. And if the being ever forgets their purpose, the community is there saying, hey, hold on, like, this is who you are. Remember who you are. You know, you're meant to be a storyteller. You're meant to be um, a song carrier. You're meant, you're meant to work with the plants. You're meant to, you know, so on and so forth. Whatever, whatever the person's soul gift is, everybody has that. And that's the sad thing about uh, Western or modernized culture is that this knowledge of the soul has been so suppressed that people don't even know what their purpose is and they can walk through an entire lifetime and not have the opportunity to live their purpose nor the support from the community and others who who see their purpose and and you know fan wind under their wings so that they can they can live their purpose um but yes, the, the soul, it's our, it's all there. Every all the wisdom is is encoded in the soul. And so part of you know and, and, and I say all of this and it, it brings a sadness, but at the same time it's not lost. The purpose is never lost. It can always be brought back to the forefront and we never we're never separated from it. There are ways and what I've what I've discovered in, in my path working with the divination system that I mentioned, working with stick medicine, working with the within this tradition from the Dagara people in West Africa and in the the land of Burkina Faso and in Ghana. This is where the these this uh, community is living. Um, the essence of purpose can be brought uh, more into the forefront um, and just for, for, for people who have been really steeped into modernity and, and like the westernization of the mind and the cultural indoctrination it just takes a little bit of prescribed rituals to regain contact with primarily one's ancestors because we can't do this life without the ancestors. That's become very, very clear to me. Mm. Having a living, breathing connection to the ancestors. They're actually actively wanting to be a part of this life and help us open the way. They know us better than we know ourselves. And then establishing a connection to the living spirit of the earth and the elements and engaging in ritual because it's through ritual 
that we create relationship. And if we're separated from our purpose, it means we've separated some form of relationship in our lives and it has to be reconnected. And this is, these are things that can uh, be identified very clearly through the art of divination. And so this is something that through this healing process, which yes, I do believe that what I went through was not an accident. It, it was part of my destiny and it showed up in that way. Um, it was a, a form of a rite of passage that I don't wish upon anybody else to have such a, a traumatic and challenging experience. But I guess for me, it was exactly the medicine that was needed to put me on this path. And I, I'm grateful every day for the ability to walk, for the ability to make my own food, for the ability to have a voice. These are the things that I, I got to experience losing. And without having that experience, I may, you know, very easily take the day-to-day -day life for granted. Mm, absolutely. I can very much relate to that in, in different ways, having gone through my own <laughs> trials. And, uh, and it's sort of something we touched on right when we first hopped on the call before we started recording was you were mentioning um, that like this time that we're in right now, this like, you know, starting last year in 2020, we're in 2021 now, but um, that you feel sort of like, I can't remember the exact word that you used, but you know, you're, you're finding it a little bit easier to navigate or that it doesn't really phase you as much because of what you've gone through. Yeah, I mean, I could say that um, the art of surrender is something that every person is facing during this time in, one, in some form or another. I think most people are experiencing that word surrender. I remember when I first found, when I, when I woke up in the hospital and discovered that I was in this condition of being totally paralyzed. One of the messages that came to me from the Ayurvedic practitioner that I was working with just before the injury, she wrote me an email. She had discovered what happened and she said, what keeps coming to me is that you need to surrender. And my first reaction to hearing that was, no, why am I going to surrender to this? I'm not going to surrender to this. This is not my life. This is not how my story is going to be. I'm going to, I'm going to get better. I'm going to heal. I'm not going to be paralyzed. I'm not going to live in a wheelchair. But that attitude, that reaction, that response that I had was that was not surrender. That was resistance. What I began to learn day by day was this surrender. A surrender isn't giving up. Surrender is a trust, a faith, a knowing that when we completely relax, there is a life-sustaining essence 
that holds us and harmony is part of this living essence so surrender was something that was a big part of my initiation in that healing crisis this art of letting go letting go of tension in the body and letting go of thought forms that can distract from the healing process and letting go of heavy emotions and luckily having tools like Reiki trusting that I can invoke healing light from the universe and anybody can do this visualize an ocean of healing light in all directions above below and all around and tap into this infinite ocean of healing light it exists beyond space and time and allow that to flow into the body visualize it in the organs in the bones in every cell and whenever i do this visualization i always have a little smile on my face because i know that with just that smile, I induce a flow of healing chemicals in the body. That's a scientific fact. For whatever reason, when the lips up, when the lips curl upward, the healing chemicals begin to flow. The endorphins, the dopamine, the anandamides. And so in that way, surrender can be done gracefully. And the mystery of life can express itself in the ways that will prove to us that all is love. Everything is a state of harmony. When we train our, our, our body and mind to be this way in, in, on the inner planes, then the outer planes in the, in, the, in the little ways that we can recognize, we'll, we'll show it to us. It will, it will mirror it back to us. And right now, what's happening on the planet is such a big scale that it would be too much to expect for that to evaporate by doing inner practices. But what we can do is look for, in just our local bubble of reality, how can we create the inner harmony and surrender and then find ways to embrace that love that's all around us and recognize it and, and I think we're all being challenged in that way um, to surrender and be able to look at the simple things in life and understand that it's possible to create the inner harmony in spite of what's happening in the external realm. Absolutely. I, I love that. And um, I loved what you said about, this is going back a little bit, but you were talking about, you know, in other maybe civilizations or traditions where people would be born knowing their purpose. 
And for me, from the time my spiritual journey started when I was a teenager, and then by the time I got into my, you know, late teens, early 20s, I was obsessed with this, like, what is my purpose? What is my purpose? And I was looking for this really tangible kind of thing, like, oh, you're meant to, you know, write a book or be a singer or whatever that is. But I remember one day I just heard this whisper of spirit, and, uh, and it said, your purpose is to be at peace. And now my birthday is on the International Day of Peace. And so that was like extra meaningful for me. But that message has given me so much perspective in my life because I do a lot of, you know, I do a lot of things. I'm a musician, I'm a healer, you know, doing all these things in the physical world, but that's not really who I am or what my purpose is. So as long as I know that I'm at peace or working towards that or in my difficult moments, I can just remind myself, get back to peace. That purpose actually feeds everything else that I'm doing in a different way. So mm. And, and I tell people that I share that story a lot because I feel like it's helpful for people because I think the way that our world is, we're so fixated on the external and the outward and our goals and our progress. And even like, you know, every year people are like, what are your goals for this year? And of course, it's great to have goals. You know, don't get me wrong. Like we should be trying to achieve things. But I wish that, and you know, one of my prayers and wishes for humanity is that we start to gauge our inner progress more and we celebrate those things. Like, hey, I didn't get mad today. You know, hey, I could have blown up today and I didn't. You know, or like, hey, like I could have gotten in an argument with somebody, but I kept my peace and I and I walked away or like these types of things. Right. So please um, tell people where, where can where can anyone find you? Where can, where can we find you? Where can people learn more about you and your work if they if they want to do more exploration and learn more about you and what you offer? Well, if you want to be in contact with me, you can look at my website. First was the there I have links to some of my music, which you can also find on Spotify. Um, I have an album, me and my, my good friend Egaman Sanli are gonna release our third album in a couple weeks from now. So that will likely be out by the time this reaches your ears. So if you just look on Spotify for Madhu Anziani, you'll find the, the three albums that are on Spotify. Um, I also have a wonderful album with my friend Alexander. It's called Chaskapunku, which means star portal in the language of Quechua. That is spoken in the high Andean regions of Peru and in other pockets in South America. Um, Chascapunku is uh, an album born from the Pachacuti Mesa uh, tradition teachings. And this album is very special because it, it was really inspired by the teachings from Don Oscar Miro Quesada, my, my main mentor from the Pachacuti Mesa tradition. And feel free to reach out to me on, on through my website, firstwasthesound.com. Um, I also have a Patreon page, which I, I put music and recordings and videos of what I'm doing most recently. So if you go to patreon.com slash madu music, um, you will discover the new music that's coming through me. Um, but I, I guess I would like to invite the listeners 
if you would like to experience divination, I would love to share that work with whoever's interested. Um, I feel like it's an essential part of our healing process when we're also grounded in our in our place where wherever we are, we're, we're probably not moving around a whole lot. And it's a great opportunity to see how can we connect to the land and our ancestors and and divination is a great way to tune into that. So you can reach out through my website for that. And I also offer mentorships to just a couple people at, at any given time. Um, right now, I have time for maybe one more person who wants to receive mentorship from me uh, in the healing arts. And that's a way for me to be able to kind of coach one on one and, and guide people to open their voice if that's what they desire or just have guidance on the healing path, how to tend to an altar, how to live a ceremonial life and that's fulfilling and, and honoring of their purpose. Wonderful. That all sounds incredible. I'm so grateful to, to know you now and to know you and your story. And I'm sure um, your story is going to inspire so many people. So thank you, everyone. Madhu Anziani. <laughs> I'm saying it right there. Yes. Um, thank you so much for, for joining me here today for this talk. I am super inspired. And actually, when you talked about the ocean of healing, I literally saw, like, because like, I can see energy, right? Like, I literally saw this whole, like, opening come and all this, like, brilliant sort of vortex of like sparkly lights like all around you when you were talking so yeah. that's like a very powerful very very powerful visualization there so thank you again so much um thank you for sharing your story with everyone and i hope it's um inspiring for everyone and please everyone go check out his work check out his offerings and i look forward to hearing your new project <laughs> yeah i i really appreciate being able to speak with you and meeting you in this way and I too share that same aspiration that I hope that all the words that we shared in our conversation will lift the, the hearts and minds of the listeners and bring inspiration into all the sentient beings who, who need some medicine right now. Amen. Tashi Dele. Thank you again so Tashi much. <laughs> Tashi Dele. Madhu and Ziani, everyone. Thank you so much. You've been listening to A Voice for Love. This is Surya Devi. Thank you so much for tuning in. I hope this series inspires you to discover your own voice for love so you can use it to be a force for good in your life and in the world. You can find me at suryadeviworld.com. I wish you great joy, good health, and the courage to speak up for what you believe in. Peace.